Hey guys, and welcome to the show. I just want to say up front, Chris didn't exactly listen to us on the mic situation, and so the quality's way lower than we'd like, but we thought the content was really worth putting out anyway. So if you can, bear it, give it a listen. If not, catch us on the next show, where it'll be service as usual. The All Things Productivity Podcast, discussing all things productivity, interviews and chat, all helping you turn chaos into control. Now, welcome your hosts, David and Maria. Hello, welcome to another episode of the All Things Productivity Podcast. Uh, This is Maria Drummond and Dave Hay speaking from Dundee. And Dave, we've got Chris Martin with us. Dave's going to introduce him for you. Yes, we have uh, Chris Martin, CEO of Oracle. Chris, just before we go through some questions with you, maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself. I mean, I I personally have known you for how many years is it now? Too many. Too many. Too many, David. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Good stuff. Um, we it was probably two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Before that, since you pitched up into my office for the first time. And you had your guitar in hand, feet in the desk. <laughs> Something like that. Good, good. So maybe maybe you can start by telling us a bit about yourself. Your story, if you like. Hey, well, a guy in Dundee here in Scotland, a software engineer slash IT guy, I suppose. Started off working for NCR, which is an AT&T company in Dundee, and then decided to set up my own. Uh, I've had a number of adventures since, uh, including the one that you and me both worked on together, which was uh, Hangdog Technology, which was acquired by GFI, and latterly you branded Logic Now, which is, uh, I understand, the biggest in the world in its particular market, which was uh, built here in Dundee, and uh, did that with uh, Dundee Folk predominantly. Uh, I guess, as, as you say, I'm now working at Oracle here and um, I gave Oracle because I believe in mobile. I believe that mobile is disrupting the world of software and anybody who isn't well building software uh, with mobile in mind at the very least is, you know, I have the ball, I think. Uh, the, the big reason I believe in mobile is I'm particularly interested in in and around healthcare, wellness, that's both physical wellness and uh mental wellness. For example, we've been working a lot with uh, Roche in, in Basel and we built an app for Parkinson's drug trial they had, which keeps people in their Parkinson's drug trial for a long time uh, using gamification, but also it asks people to take a manual dexterity test, a manual voice test, a manual function test, and it uses a passive uh, monitoring of the phone to detect tremors and relate that back to the drug trial participation to make sure, you know, so they say they've taken the drug and other symptoms uh, being managed or getting worse. So I, I really, uh, everybody here really takes that stuff. We're, we're really interested in using our software engineering skills and technology skills for, I guess, health benefits. And, you know, that's an interesting thing in Dundee because Dundee's a relatively small city. And, uh, but in this small city, which has an advantage because people talk and get on well, uh, there's very good community of both software engineers and game engineers and also biotech and medical and so I think that Dundee has a very unique competitive position to enable us to do things in mobile healthcare. 
Is that enough? Have I, have I gone that's, all that's, that's plenty and very interesting, actually. A great start. So that's firmly where you see Oracle going in terms of its direction? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we've got good clients across multiple sectors. Uh, we're in banking, healthcare, uh, food and drink, uh, large property companies. Uh, I think the one that gets everybody out of bed with a bump is the stuff in healthcare. We have no problem motivating our software engineers to work on this. Good. Absolutely. It sounds amazing. Um, especially since Dundee, you know, you mentioned a lot of all the different areas, uh, where people are really getting stuck in and Dundee design as, as well, mixed into that and creativity and creation of software well, I think and that's products. It. I mean, is going to be you involved. know, there's a guy at the university, Professor Rod Mountain, who's a great guy. And he, I met him on a train. Actually, I've known him for a long time, but I met him on a train. And he started telling me about all these events that he was going to which were basically mashups of different disciplines. And I thought he was bonkers at first. And then I thought, wait a minute, no, he's right. He's exactly right. The power of Dundee is in this proximity of these different disciplines and the interconnection of them, actually. And I think that's a great competitive uh, position to have. Fantastic. Well, enough about Dundee, more about you. Uh, I would love to know if you were, if you considered yourself a productive person, like uh, in general. Well, that's a good question, Maria. What is productivity? <laughs> Very philosophical for this time of day. <laughs> What's productivity? What is productivity? I think it's do. I would. I would say it was doing things, doing more things than usual because you allocated some more time to yourself by doing things more efficiently. I don't know. I wouldn't, actually. Oh, go on. I would say it's doing the right things mm. because anybody can do a lot of nonsense fast, and all doing a lot of nonsense fast takes you is into trouble faster. So I would define productivity in terms of doing, you know, pulling the big levers which get you to where you're going the fastest. So it's, to me, being product productive is about very much deciding what the right things to do are and not too much doing things fast. How do you decide them things, though? Well, so is, is this the next question or is this still... Uh, uh, part of that question. Interesting I, I to think, see where it goes. Know, I, 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 I mean, I was speaking on a couple of investor-type presentations about how you decide where one might allocate their time or money. And the way I decide, in, in a working sense, is which, you know, it's, it's the old Pareto thing, which are the which are the things that are going to give you 80% of the movement for 20% of the effort? You know, so what are the big levers you can pull and just ignore the small ones? And so, you know, in a sense, and I know Dave and I have had this conversation many times, but I believe in market trends, and I believe in mega trends, so I tend to work where there is a disruption, uh, where there's a big number changing very quickly, and, you know, and I, I tend to try and operate in where the market is growing very quickly, and uh, so I, I tend to use numbers to decide what the right things to do are, if that answers your question. Yeah, no, sounds good. So you were talking a lot about there about in business and uh, yourself being a CEO and being in charge of people. Um, obviously, you've grown business and businesses in the past and staff productivity. So the productivity of those around you, um, and which is which your business is dependent on. How do you maintain that? You know, is it still pulling big levers? And you know, as you're scaling a business, does does those things count, or is it more on a day to day business, uh, on a day to day basis? Sorry, um, where you can, you know, maintain momentum in your staff and in yourself if you're scaling or growing quickly, or you know, achieving more. I think. I mean, in, in, in software, generally, isn't that difficult to motivate uh, to 
motivate people because people are motivated by the task. And they're software engineers because they like the process of developing software. And if they're developing interesting software, it really isn't difficult to motivate people. Uh, and I, I would say that you know, the place where I do most of my day work, if you like, is marketing. And I don't really think it's particularly difficult to motivate people in marketing either. Um, I think, so I'm going to say something which is a bit rude here, but I, I don't think I actually know the answer to that question because I've not worked anywhere where it's very difficult to motivate people. There might be some businesses where it is difficult to motivate staff because the job is repetitive or lacking creativity or, uh, you know, I guess more traditional, but in, in my end of the world, people generally like their work. So those two industries, you'd say software and marketing, uh, especially you think people are perfectly motivated and can... Well, I think when people are attracted to creative things, you know, yeah. creativity is a reward. You know, mm-hmm. doing something creative is a reward. And I know if I look back to when I was a software engineer, uh, I'd be quite happy sitting in front of the computer and not talking to anybody for two days while I tried to work something out. And I would literally sit there for 20 hours a day. I think we've got some experience of that here, so. actually. Yeah, <laughs> how a dev team looks like that. The lights no. are off, and uh, they're just busy coding away in the dark. Okay, but I mean, and so there's an important thing there. So, software engineers and marketing people will tend to rock on, and they're you know, they like the work. But that's not to say you can't have a business without managing people. You do need to manage people, and the way we uh, we we tend to, as most software engineers do, we tend to use agile, and we use agile. Uh, both in our engineering teams and in the other parts of the business to, to varying degrees. So we use that as a kind of momentum building tool. Also, and I think it's my particular style. It's not every, every CEO's style, but you know, I run around the office, jumping up and down, leaping around and generally showing energy. And uh, I think, you know, that's, you've got to give people energy. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fair point. If, you know, you come in and sit down, don't speak to anyone, you know, I, I'm conscious of it on a Monday morning. I see that, it's, it's not natural for me, Dave, because I'm quite happy sitting down looking at my screen coding or using Excel all day. And I have to remember, remember to get out of the desk and go and socialize and, and banter. And, and I, I know you struggle with socializing and having banter, <laughs> don't you? Oh, yeah, I'm a bit of a, yeah, yeah, probably. So, that, I mean, that whilst you're talking about, you know, going out there, meeting your staff, speaking to them, having some banter, is there anything, you know, particularly, you know, is there a particular productivity drain, I guess, that's maybe unique to mobile app development um, or the development, you know, the industry that you're in? Uh, so, I, I mean, the one that springs to mind is we've got two aspects to this business. We've got a product business where we're building the product. Uh, which is for our customers to use and to pay us for. And there's another side of this business is where we sell our services to other people to build their products. So on, on the services side of the business, you know, the, the greatest productivity killer, I think, isn't around scope creep. And scope creep is, tends to be... Uh, it's, it's missed expectations as far as I can see. But the, the, the customer doesn't understand on which basis you're working. You know, you're either working on a fixed fixed scope, fixed time basis, or you're working on a variable scope where the scope can change and the time must change, but you can't, you know, you can't work on 
you can't do a fixed, uh, a variable scope thing on a fixed time basis because they think you're changing your mind, you know. Just, so, I mean, where we lose money or lose uh, profit or productivity on that side of business is generally around uh, scope creep. On, and on the product side, I've got this general rule and it's my latest rant that I rant about. <laughs> well, yeah, is that I'm not interested in building elephants. Okay, so do you want to talk a little more so, about... I mean, we're really into that build us and get it in the market, start getting the feedback, get the analytics and see which bits of it are being used and valued. You know, and to me, when anybody talks about building something big, uh, I'm not really, I don't really get that. What do we, what do you, what do you determine as big as in they well, see I mean, it for millions of users or? Well, no, I mean, that's fine, but you need to start. And I think, you know, software is a game of small gains. And so, you know, you build a small nugget of something valuable, put it out in the market. You get some users, you analyze them, and if it, you know, great if they like it, but if they don't like it, you've got the data to change it quickly. Um, so we're talking small iterations then? Yeah, we get something out quickly. Now, I don't think a product, you know, if you've got a product idea, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to build a product. There's lots of ways of testing if your product will be successful, like you've hit the right market, you're fulfilling, fulfilling their needs. Uh, in the right way without actually building a product. So, you know, I think if we've got an aspiration to do something in and around a particular area, we wouldn't even build a product to test whether it's the right thing to do. We would build some content to see if there's any appetite to consume content. And then we might build what we call a gadget, which is a little sort of freeware piece of software which tells us something about these people. And then once we've, you know, uh, I guess experienced or, or been able to deduce what we're building is right, we will then invest in a building a product. So that's a really we, interesting way to look at it. And you I know. think we take small gambles. Okay. No, that's that's interesting. So you would almost start with the marketing first. Yeah. And I see mean, as, as I said, I mean always I'm interested in doing the right thing, not doing not doing the wrong thing fast. So I'm constantly checking that this is the right thing and it does generally start with marketing so you can often build something you can take your first small gamble and it needn't be a product okay good so Chris when you started a business do you think there's such a thing as a work-life balance and if so how do you make sure you actually achieve it during such a tumultuous time do you like that use of the word tumultuous <laughs> that was me <laughs> That's an underused word, really. <laughs> Is there such a thing as a work-life balance when you're starting a business? That's the point. Do you think so? Will you tell me? Uh, I, I haven't started my own business. I can't. <laughs> you, you, you guys Sorry, I'm playing that you card. You guys are working in a startup. <laughs> yeah. Is All right, fine. Then we'll throw that over to Dave since Dave was there at the beginning. Good. This is interesting. We were interviewing Chris, but he's throwing every question back at us. So, you know, for me personally, not really, not right now. Um, but you know, I'm in a situation where I can just go home and bury my head back into work. Um, I know you've got, you've got two girls and, um, a lovely fiance. Three girls. Three. Oh, yes. Okay. So, you know, it's different for you. Well, for me, there is. 
because uh, it has to be. He goes, I'm not willing to sacrifice work. I'm not willing to sacrifice my family for work. So that's the rules that I operate under. Uh, you know. If you didn't have a family, say if you were in Dave's position, and because mm. I always think that that's this, that's the only reason really, well, not the only reason, but that's one of the main driving reasons to have, to make an effort to have a work-life balance is because of family and loved ones and spending time with them. But say if you were in the position of Dave and he doesn't have any children and would you actively try to have a work-life balance? You know, so do you think it would, do you think it would affect, no, do you think it would affect your work if you did have more of a, like, well, more of a... Well, your voice is very quiet. I think I got it. But let me ask you a question, right? Have you ever heard this saying, if you want something done, give it to a... No, give it to someone else. <laughs> no, what, what's the saying, Dave? Or give it to a lazy person. All right, yeah. Give it to a busy man. A busy oh, man. God, we're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, and the point is, again, busy people tend to compartmentalise. They've got 15 minutes to achieve something. So what that causes them to do is do the, you know, invest 15 minutes wisely. So it's Parkinson's law work expands to fill the time available for its completion. And I'm a 90% guy. Like I'm, I'm not the guy to finish anything to 100%. I do the bulk of something, get it out the door, and start to get it usable. You know, so people like it or they don't like it or they want it changed or whatever. You know, I'm not a, a polisher. And and I think there's diminishing marginal returns in most things you do. Obviously not in medicine and, and aircraft engineering, but particularly in software and marketing, you know, in many cases, 90% is good enough and the last 10% of anything costs an immense amount of time and money. And so I would argue that, and, and that, you know, again, that's the essence of Agile, that's the essence of Lean, is you time box people to get them to do the 90% because the last 10% is just general nonsense. And so sometimes too much time can work against you. So I think that a work-life balance is very useful because it enforces that time box. But and you would argue... People who have too much time to do their work, I suspect. But you would argue that it comes... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but you would argue that it comes down to delegation at the end of the day. I'm sorry? Sorry, you would argue that it comes down to delegation. No, I think it comes down to knowing where to invest your time and when, when something's 90%. Okay. Because, you know... I, I've been in Dave's shoes, you know, previously when I was uh, younger and I started a business, you know, I'd work from eight to six and then Friday night I'd go home and I'd start writing some marketing thing and I'd be, you know, and I'd still be at it at 10 o'clock at night and and it's just, you know, you, you spend a lot of time going over old ground. But you don't begrudge it though. It's for you. I mean, I can understand why Maria doesn't want to sit and take up her evenings doing all things stuff. Maybe I do. Well, I don't <laughs> think that people in... I, well, so here's the answer, Dave. I don't think that spending too much time on your business does you any favours. Good way I don't, You know, you need to spend a sensible amount of time in it, but killing yourself doesn't. Uh, my uh, my ex-girlfriend, she said a great thing to me once, and it was really an earth and sort of life-changing sentence that she said. And she doesn't know this, but I was moaning and grumping about something once and she said, you stop it. You're stealing my energy. And I thought, that's right. I am stealing your energy. And actually, this work-life balance is about managing your energy, right? And so you need to do things that maintain your energy. 
because work, the wrong difficult situations in work can deplete your energy. And so you need to make sure that you don't go red on the tank in terms of energy, as far as I'm concerned. All right. Well, you covered a couple of things there. So we've, we started talking about the work-life balance issue um, when you're running a startup and also your energy or lack thereof. Um, the next question was going to be, uh, what problems should people be on the lookout for when starting a business? Are these two of the main things you reckon, or is there other factors that could oh, maybe sure. knock the momentum when you're starting? Start There's infinite amounts of things that can keep up on you and kill you. Uh, the thing that I've always found most difficult is, yeah, I mean, your energy. It's, I, I speak in kind of metaphors, but I always think that when I was a kid, I used to play this game called Galaxian or something. And I don't really play many computer games. And it had this, it was a spaceship and you had to shoot other spaceships. And around this spaceship was a, a force field. And every time the other spaceship shot you, your force field depleted. And uh, that's what it's like starting a business. You know, your energy feels deplete. If you take a bang or something doesn't right, you know, your energy feels deplete. And sometimes you have to take yourself out the firing line to let your energy fuels uh, back again. And there's a million ways that things can deplete you in starting a business now. Do you think it's important to have the end goal in mind constantly? I mean, you must do if you if you've started a business. Absolutely, you, uh-huh. absolutely. I mean, when, when we when we go and speak to some of our app development clients, our very first question to them, and I'm coming back to the numbers again, is our very first question to you know, anybody that asks us we're interested in that is we say to them, okay, what numbers are we trying to move? And you know, if they can't answer that, then we're we're inclined not to work with them because it means we're going to possibly get involved in a wild goose chase. Because, you know, if all they say is we need an app, we're like, well, maybe not a client for us. Whereas we say to Roche, uh, you know, what numbers are you trying to change? And they say, well, we're very clear, the number we're trying to change is uh, the average participation in our drug trial is 300 days and we want to move that to 400 because it will save us £5 million or something. That tells us it's a well-defined mission. And you know, I'm always asking myself about lots of things, what numbers that we're trying to change? Cool. Um, so again, in, in every single question, it seems to be we've gone back to the early days of starting a business, having a startup, um, those kind of things. Uh, so going back to productivity more in general, what is the one piece of productivity advice you'd wish you'd learned years and years ago? What What would be the thing you could tell yourself? Well, you know, Dave, Dave asked me that question a year ago, or maybe two years ago, and what was the answer, what was the answer then? Um... I can't remember. Dave's a crap friend. (laughs) He tells me so much every time I see him. (laughs) Make sure you're doing the right thing. Yes, sorry. Right things. Pull the right levers. Pull the right levers or measure twice, cut once. Mm, That's invaluable. It's absolutely crazy investing all your time and energy doing the wrong thing. It will kill you. Be certain you're doing the right thing and then that should Absolutely be a poster. It will kill you. <laughs> and it's not everything. You know, there's a million and one ways we can do a business. But, you know, what I like to focus on is the 10 things that will do it the fastest. Fantastic. So we're going to get a poster knocked up and put that on your wall. And it'll be by Chris Martin. What's that? Do one, the right thing. Yeah, one of those. Or um, it will kill you. Or it will kill you. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the exactly. title for your book, exactly. by the way, Chris. We've just provided you with your title for your book. 
Right. So, well, so what, what's your what's your take on it then? Okay, um, productivity advice that you would do. No, I think you're right. It's kind of an obvious one, though. Do the right things. Yeah. Or do I, the things that give mean, you... by by doing the right thing. I mean, that's that's. I think that's quite profound in a way because it means you know play in the right market. Only do things where you've got a chance of success. Don't embark upon things where it's not defined or. You know, you're not focused, or you're not understanding what it is you're trying to do. And uh, for example, the business that we uh, both worked in, Dave, previously, Pound Dollars, became GFI Max, it was absolutely focused on one particular customer that knew what they needed to do, and it didn't deviate from it. Yeah. And it was a growing market, and and you know, and I know again we've had this conversation many times. Previously, but on the internet, when you're selling on the internet, then you must be king of a small hill. There's no point in trying to be king of a big hill because you will die. You, know, you will run out of money. So let's be, be king of a small hill, but understand that small hill, that tribe of people, understand them intimately and be solving a problem for them. Because, and actually be at war on their behalf. You know, be at war on their behalf because that makes the language you speak to other people about what you're doing more evocative. Um, but do not try things for all people because you'll die. Can't please everyone. That's one of those yeah. things. And you, you have been saying that to me for years and years. I mean, I started off as a software engineer and latterly became an internet marketer and I realised that, that you need to, I call it now, double niche. You need to be in a niche within a niche. So you need to be selling software to, for example, people who are interested in mobile in healthcare. If we went out to the market and said we're general purpose mobile developers, which we do, we'll get X amount of business. But if we go out to the market and say we're general purpose, we're sorry, we're mobile developers for healthcare, it allows our margins to be much stronger because we can perceive value around that. There's a there's a, an air of authority that we've got more depth of knowledge in around that field. And so I always double niche or occasionally triple niche. Fantastic. Triple so, niche. <laughs> so I, I do think very carefully about what the right thing to do is, and I'd like to go into markets. And somebody else told me this, and it's, a, again, another descriptive term, but I prefer to do things with the winds at your back with, rather than the winds in your face. Yeah. So take the natural factors that are surrounding your business and just check that they're in your favour, because if they're not in your favour, if the market's declining or it's very competitive or you're trying to go too broad, then the wind will be in your face and, again, you'll die. It all comes back to death, doesn't it? <laughs> so, I mean, it, it absolutely is. It goes back to my very first question to you. Is pick the right thing to do. Invest a great deal of thinking and time in picking the right thing to do and understanding it, and then understanding what the shortcut to success is, rather than doing too many things, because you'll run out of energy. You'll run out of energy and you'll need to sleep more. Which brings me on to the next question. <laughs> so we were t we were talking about the importance of sleep um, in one of our next episodes. So does your productivity greatly depend on the amount of sleep you get? So you know, I know you're a early to bed guy and early up in the morning. I think if I sleep best if I fall asleep about eleven and get up at six. I'd have a full night's sleep then and I'd be concentrated and I'd probably feel more refreshed. I think with young children, it's, it's very difficult. And I think my sleeping pattern over the last 
seven or eight years since we had young kids has been damaged. Uh, so I think it's important that you have a right sleeping pattern. I don't think that my productivity is impacted greatly by the quality of my sleep because I think some people uh, do all right on little sleep and some people don't. And you know when you you know in the jobs that we've had where you've had to get up early morning and go on a plane at four o'clock in the morning and then perform all day, you know sometimes till twelve o'clock at night, you get you, you get get to, I guess, understand that you can get through it, uh, you know, and it's just, you know, you get through it. And, and one of the things that, well, that Leslie says to me, which Leslie is uh, my Leslie, who's a pathologist at the hospital, you know, she's got very stressful, demanding jobs, and, and she gets up in the morning and if she feels tired, she says, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. And I keep thinking to myself, well, you won't get through the day if you think like that. And so I tend not to dwell too much on sleep. Oh, sorry, Justin. If that makes sense, you know, because I've had to... I mean, when we were going back and forth to Armenia, when we bought that company in Armenia, literally in UK time, and this was not local time, I was going to bed something at 10 o'clock at night, getting up at 1 o'clock in the morning and getting on a flight at 2 o'clock in the morning to fly back from Armenia to Paris and then appearing in the office from 10 o'clock and working a full day. And you, I think... Once you've done that a few times, you kind of realise that you can do it, but you can't do it too long. I mean, you're talking about one or two days, uh, kind of thing. So it's not a big issue for me. I think it's a big issue for for, for some people. Uh, but actually, you know, I was, I was pondering that question because I thought it was quite an interesting question, especially since we're into mobile healthcare. And the thing that I find most inspiring and most, you know, the thing that inspires me to do my best work isn't sleep. He inspires me most is working with really good, smart people. You know, where you're working alongside somebody else who's doing something great and really innovative and, and helping you or, you know, helping you minimise your, your craziness, then I find that that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what it's all about. So you don't, you know, basically you can handle it for a couple of days if it's, you know, a work trip or something, but not something you, you know, do you feel now the kids are getting slightly older that you're getting your sleep pattern back in? No, because actually, I what happened, you know, the kids are taking up less time and they're sleeping you know, more or less through the night. Uh, so I find that actually, you know, as, as, as you know, sometimes you text me at night and I'm fast asleep by 10 o'clock. But what that means is I'm awake by half past four. And then I'm, you know, I'm in bed and irritating Leslie and, uh, you know, go to my phone and sending out emails at 4.30 in the morning and stuff like that. It's important for me not so much to get more sleep, but it's to get the right amount at the right time, if you like. So I, I think I do sleep better in concentrated small packages, like from 11 to 6, 11 to 5.30 kind of thing. Yeah. Pretty interesting. If, if there's too much opportunity for sleep, then I do worse. Again, it's that compartmentalising. It's that if you want something done, give it to a busy man because it tends to get concentrated. Mm. Excellent. Good stuff. Food for thought for next episode. Yes. So, do you want to do you want to sort of summarise what we've what we've talked about? Yeah. Um, for me, at least, it's been the importance of um, doing the right things, um, yep. not wasting energy doing the wrong things or things that don't give you energy from it um surrounding yourself with the right people 
and working on small gambles and not doing the right the the wrong thing first um so really thinking things through and getting the right amount of sleep let me ask you guys what makes you more productive i definitely definitely a solid seven hours sleep any less than seven hours and my attention wins I know you're one of these grumpy guys. If you're not sleeping, you get grumpy, right? And how do you know this? <laughs> well, I saw it last Friday. Oh, man, when that's not fair. Them. That's not fair. <laughs> I, I just had to pay £2.20 to park outside the cafe when I then had to spend another £86 million for a bacon roll and a coffee. Oh, no. <laughs> it's really stressful stuff, you, Dave. You, you're grumpy in the mornings, right? Uh, so yeah, does that affect your productivity? That's harsh, but uh, no, because, you know, as long... <laughs> there's core hours, I think. My core hours are probably half nine till half eleven, twelve, and then sort of two till five, maybe not even five, and then two, three hours in the evening. Those are the sort of hours I feel that I can really, you know, plow through stuff. Should I not? Not if you're doing the right things. It's all about doing the right things. Are you going to die, Dave? I know I'm going to die. Yeah, probably. Oh, I mean, I mean, if you check out Parkinson's Parkin, Scrum, Agile, Lean. It's all about that. It's about time boxing things because you get 90% of the thing done in that time box. If you if you allow people infinite amount of time they will polish it to death and over-engineer it. No, we're going through the same situation with our mobile app, Chris, in that um, you know, we've just the final stages of testing a new release and it's got to the stage now where we could actually push it out the door. But you know, there's all sorts of things that come up in testing and then we go, oh, should we just hang on and add that in and then add this feature in and no, let's just get it out the door. You know, let's not polish it to death. So when when I spoke to you last week, right, I told you there's an important thing about mobile apps. Uh, I said that mobile apps only succeed when they, they are for frequent tasks. So if you've got a mobile app on your phone, uh, that you don't use every month or every two months or something, you delete it, right? It just becomes your non-mobile app and you take it off your phone. Sure. So I think, and, I, and what I said to you at the time a couple of weeks ago was, you need to get your app out there and you need to find out what the frequent users of your app are doing, right? And what they are using it for and what, you know, the things that they're touching every single day, what are the features that are causing people to interact with your app frequently? And because... That is, that's the point to the, where you must invest your time. So I, you know, I took one thing away from that and discussed it with Pete and it's push notifications. We're lacking, you know, that little reminder that you get from an app, you know, like sort of Mindspace, the meditation app sends me a little push message to say, Hey, by the way, have you taken 10 minutes? Um, you know, you've got five outstanding tasks left open I mean I, I personally turn those off because I think they're interrupting me I, I turn off all notifications I'm not a notification guy but there are things that 
there's processes I want to connect with. Some I do weekly, some I do daily, and some I do monthly. And I've got apps which help me do that. But I guess the point is I'm trying to say is if you don't get your app out there as quickly as possible and start understanding as quickly as possible what are, what people are doing frequently with your app, you may never get it to work because it's then your best guess about what you think people will use. And I, I, I mean, that's the guess I prefer when data is saying this is what people are using on a daily basis. Yep, you are. You comes back to the numbers. Your middle name is spreadsheet, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Good stuff. Well, Chris, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I know you're a busy, busy guy. Thanks for coming on. Albeit busy doing the right things and not dying. Sometimes. And you're not dead yet, so you <laughs> must be doing it okay. So yeah, no, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, we will speak to you soon. Thank you. Guys, thank you very much for tuning in again to another episode of the All Things Productivity podcast. Um, thank you for those that have been continuing to leave us reviews on iTunes. Um, please, please keep the feedback coming. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can talk to us on Twitter at allthings_io. And if you've got any questions for the Yawa uh, podcast, please also feel free to get in touch with that with any productivity questions you might have. And we will see you next time. From me, goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. If you want more of All Things Productivity, check out allthingsproductivity.com for articles, videos, and of course, the All Things Productivity app. And don't forget to leave us some feedback. Comment at allthingsproductivity.com or tweet us at allthings underscore io. Thanks for listening.